Thanks to FreshBooks for supporting Industry Focus. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com fool and enter Motley Fool in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's freshbooks.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives to a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, October 27th, and it's earnings season. We're going to be going through our results from a few big tech names. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com's Tim Green. Tim, how's it going? It's going pretty well. A uh, little bit of snow here in Denver, but not too cold yet. Not enough to shut down the roads or anything like that? No. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, a, not even close, but... Yeah, I guess it's got to be pretty serious over there. But uh, I do appreciate. We tape in the morning. I appreciate you getting up early to uh, to prep with me. I know you guys are. You're over on Mountain Time there, right? Yeah, I usually wake up pretty early, so this isn't too big of a deal. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Uh, this is actually your first time on IF, and listeners, you may recognize Tim's voice from Pitch Week. He actually made the case for IBM. Um, the reason I'm bringing you on the show this week, Tim, is because I wanted to talk about AMD. They had a pretty interesting earnings release, and the market reaction. Was also kind of head scratching. Um, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about Twitter results. Um, let's just dive right into it. So, AMD. This is a company that we haven't really spent a ton of time talking about on the show. Tim, you mind giving listeners a quick rundown on what they do? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, AMD is kind of like if you took Intel and Nvidia and combined them together and made them much smaller. Uh, <laughs> they design CPUs for PCs, and so they're actually the only company other than Intel that can design the specific type of processor that uh, Windows and Mac OS run on. And so it's a duopoly in that business. Uh, they design CPUs for servers, also mostly competing with Intel. Uh, and they design graphics processing units for graphics cards, for PC gaming, and increasingly more uh, workload acceleration stuff and data centers and things like that. They compete with NVIDIA in that market, and again, only two competitors really there. Um, that's their core business. They are the number two player in all of them. In some of them, they are a very distant number two player. They have pretty much no presence in the serve market anymore. Uh, they're trying to change that, and we'll talk about that a little later. Um, then the other part of their business is they do some semi-custom chip design work. And so they take the te- their CPU and GPU technology, they build custom chips around that. The biggest business they have is they design uh, the chips for the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One game consoles. And so that's a little less than half their business now. Uh, so that's, uh, that's pretty much what they do. They don't manufacture chips anymore. They spun that part of their business off uh, in 2009. So unlike Intel, which still manufactures chips as well as designs them, AMD is now just a chip designer, a lot like uh, NVIDIA is. And so this is a company that powers and, and really <laughs> provides a lot of the juice for a lot of the devices that we know and love. And it has been a very good stock to own over the past 12 months. They're up over 70% over the past year. And actually, folks that bought in in early 2016 are up 500%. Um, we look over at this most recent set of results from the company. It seems like they put together a pretty good quarter, Tim. Uh, yeah, overall, the, the numbers were fantastic. And so, so, to kind of dive into that, AMD put up $1.64 billion in revenue for the most recent quarter, which was up 26% year over year. And it was actually 130 million higher than what analysts were expecting. If you go down to the bottom line, uh, Gap EPS came in at seven cents. Non-Gap EPS was at 10 cents, handily beating expectations of eight cents per share. Um, one little surprise for me was seeing gross margins move uh, quite as much as it did. They're uh, they're at 35 percent now, which is up four percentage points year over year. 
Um, you talked about some of the specific segments that you wanted to kind of dive into those a little bit. What else really jumped out to you in the report, Tim? Uh, so AMD has been launching new products pretty much all year. A lot of them are premium products. And so the gross margin being up that much is really just being, being driven by uh, all of these product launches. Um, so the computing and graphics segment, that includes uh, PC CPUs and graphics cards. That was up 74% year over year to $819 million. Uh, so that's driven by uh, the CPU business. They launched their new CPUs called Ryzen this year. Uh, they've launched them from ranging from high-end, super high-end, $1,000 processors to low-end, uh, you know, $100 processors. Uh, so that's driving part of that growth. They also launched high-end graphics cards. Uh, Vega is the, the the name of those. They launched a couple of those. Uh, that's the first time in quite a while that they've been even remotely competitive at the high end of the, the graphics card market. Uh, so both of those are doing pretty well based on these results. Uh, one benefit that AMD is getting in its graphics business that they they didn't really they talked about a little bit on the conference call is. Uh, Cryptocurrency mining uh, demand from uh, for G for GPUs this year. I, I think most people are at least somewhat aware that cryptocurrency prices, Bitcoin and all the other ones, have just gone crazy. Uh, it turns out the GPUs are pretty efficient at the computational stuff involved in mining those cryptocurrencies. So both Nvidia and AMD are seeing a lot of demand for their graphics cards from that that source. Uh, AMD didn't provide any estimates for it. Uh, NVIDIA actually did on their conference call back in August. They put the number at about $150 million for their quarter. And so if AMD is in kind of the same ballpark, um, a big chunk of their growth in this computing and graphics segment is due to is due to this cryptocurrency demand. And, and um, if so I, what that mean, uh, Tim, yeah. if I remember correctly, within the conference call, they talked about how it's possible that that might taper off a little bit as the year goes on. Yeah, so they said it, they expect it to level off. Um, I don't know if anyone can really predict what's going to happen with <laughs> cryptocurrencies in, in any amount of time in the future. Um, I mean, they could collapse tomorrow. I, I don't know. <laughs> this actually, the same exact thing happened back in 2013. There was kind of a mini bubble in, in cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin was a big one. Uh, Litecoin was the, the alternative one. And AMD was actually selling out of their graphics cards because they were being bought up for mining Litecoin. They got this initial kind of surge in, in revenue, and then eventually it, it collapsed, and they had some trouble in their graphics business after that. So I don't know if the same kind of dynamic is going to play out. Uh, I would expect probably, but I don't know. Um, so this is demand that I don't think is going to be durable, but it's hard to say. And listeners, I realize that we just threw a lot at you there with cryptocurrencies with with Litecoin, a lot of terms that some people might not be familiar with. Uh, Fool.com has some pretty good primers on that stuff if you want any information on cryptocurrencies or on Bitcoin specifically. Uh, I believe that we have some old financial shows, uh, and we also have some great articles. If you want any more information on that, shoot us a note at the show, industryfocus at fool.com, and we'll be sure to get that over to you. Um, Tim, bring it back to the market reaction for these results. We talked about how broadly things looked pretty good. They beat expectations. They beat guidance. Um, and yet the stock is down 15% this week. So, so they seemed like they did pretty much everything right. Um, good guidance hit. Um, you know, they they showed pretty good stuff on the margins. Um, they even revised future guidance up. What exactly happened here with market expectations and with what they delivered? Yeah. So, 
AMD stock uh, quadrupled last year, and as you said, it was up it's up 500% or something since the beginning of 2016. Uh, most of that most of that gain is was due to basically the hope that these new products that they've launched this year uh, would generate revenue growth, would generate profits, it would return AMD to kind of the the glory days of the past. They've lost money. They lost money every year between 2012 and 2016. It's been a rough ride, uh, but these new products are the the hope was that they would kind of bring AMD back to being profitable. So the third quarter started to show signs that this is happening. These new products are doing that. Um, the problem is when you have a stock that goes up by 500% on expectations of something happening, and then that thing starts to happen, there's always kind of a discrepancy between the expectations and what is actually how it's actually playing out. So I, I think AMD's turnaround is was pretty much priced into the stock, and maybe even then some prior to this earnings report. Um, back in May, they gave AMD gave some long-term guidance uh, they in an investor presentation. Uh, so they said they expected uh, non-GAAP earnings to reach $0.75 cents per share by 2020. And so prior to the earnings report, the stock traded at 19 times that number. So 19 times what AMD hopes to earn on an adjusted basis three, three years from now, assuming everything goes right. And so I think it's really just this, uh, the expectations are just so high that you know, AMD, all these new products are going to just drive AMD's revenue and profits higher pretty quickly. And so any sign that maybe it's not going quite as fast as people want it to go uh, is going to push the stock down. That's one of the dangers, I guess, of investing in um, super high growth stocks and, and ones that have very big expectations priced into them. Um, looking forward for the rest of the year, management expects 2017 annual revenue to beat 2016 numbers by over 20%. Originally, they'd forecast for mid-high teens percentage growth. So, you know, revising that guidance up looks good. But as Tim mentioned, there's still a lot of things that need to go right for this business. Uh, I think to even just kind of stay where they are, let alone really show some like serious share price appreciation. Yeah. Um... You know they have to exceed the already pretty inflated expectations, which are going to be difficult. A lot of their new products are going to take a while to kind of ramp up. Um, the the server business they launched uh, new server CPUs, Epic earlier this year, um, but it's going to take a while. It, you know it depends on server manufacturers building systems around these chips and cloud infrastructure companies. You know building them into their platforms. So this is something that's going to take probably a couple of years to really play out. And you know, start generating a lot of revenue for AMD. So, I think the stock was pricing in kind of this quick comeback. I think the comeback is just going to take a while. And as you mentioned, in a lot of the markets that they participate in, they are not the industry leader, right? So, um, when you are competing against the likes of Nvidia and Intel, um, and, and you're smaller, <laughs> particularly in the case of Intel, um, it, it, you're not a market leader. You're not kind of uh, able to plow as much into R and D. And uh, you're not seen as as kind of the the standard bearer for for what should be going on there. So that also kind of forces them into a little bit of an uphill battle. Uh, yeah, and they're uh, very far behind in some of these markets. The server market, they have, I mean, their market share rounds down to zero at this point. Uh, in the PC market, it's pretty low, especially in laptops. And in the graphics market, it's uh, recovered a bit. They launched some mainstream graphics cards last year, but it's still not all that high, and they have very little presence in the high end. So they have a lot of work to do to kind of get back into kind of a strong number two position. 
So we're going to go from talking about a company that had huge expectations, seemed to deliver, but had a pretty negative result, uh, at least in the market's view, to a company that had pretty low expectations, and the market seemed to love what they got And talking about Twitter. Uh, we're going to talk about that on the back half of the show. But before we get over there, I just want to give a thanks to FreshBooks for supporting today's episode. The nature of work is changing. The internet has enabled more people to start their own businesses and become self-employed contractors. And that's great, but if you're starting your own business, that means you've got to keep the books. And that's where FreshBooks comes in. FreshBooks is accounting software for people who hate accounting. FreshBooks helps you track your time, aka your billable hours, and the FreshBooks dashboard makes it easy to generate basic charts to give you a sense of how your business is doing, as well as more advanced reports that dig deeper into the numbers. So if you're starting a small business, or you're an independent contractor, maybe a consultant, attorney, and you don't want to deal with the headache of accounting, you should check out FreshBooks. Case in point, my mom owns her own pet-sitting business and has an MBA, and she still dreads doing her own books. For our listeners, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day free trial. Just go to freshbooks.com fool, and in the How Did You Hear About Us section, just enter Motley Fool. Once again, that's freshbooks.com fool. Enter Motley Fool in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Okay, so Tim, now we're talking about a company that a lot of people are familiar with, won't need to give as much background on Twitter. Uh, the social media company reported earlier this week, revenue for the quarter was $590 million, which was down 4% year-over-year. may seem disappointing, but it actually beat expectations. Non-GAAP EPS came in at $0.10, cents, beating expectations as well. Um, and the market seemed thrilled. Shares are up over 15% since the company reported. Uh, man, we've spent so much time on industry focus talking about Twitter. I can't help but do it every single time they, they post earnings result because there's so much talk about this being a turnaround stock. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about one of the main drivers for this business, uh, their monthly active users, and what's going on there? Uh, yeah, so they they managed to grow monthly active users by four percent year over year, up to three hundred thirty million. It's been kind of flattish for a couple quarters, so uh, a little bit of growth is nice to see. And, and um, I, I think when we they, see this. Sorry, Tim. I think when we see this market reaction here, um, for as uninspiring as some of the revenue and, and income numbers might be, uh, particularly because revenue is down year over year, um, you see the, the user growth, and, and that's what a lot of people are kind of pegging to, this idea that it is still a relevant platform that is growing. Yeah, it's uh, certainly not growing as fast as uh, most of the other kind of high-profile social media networks, but uh, any growth is good growth, especially when revenue is still falling. I think any growth is good growth is like the the credo that Twitter investors have been holding <laughs> on to for quite some time. Um, one thing that is worth noting, we talk about their monthly active user numbers. Um, in addition to the update that we got on their financial numbers, management separately disclosed that they had been making a mistake in how they'd been calculating monthly active users. And so they had been including users of certain third party applications in their monthly active user calculation. Uh, the issue was related to Digits, which was a software development kit Twitter had recently divested from. And so the company has recognized this mistake. They've been transparent in talking about exactly the impact that it has, and they've restated their MAUs going back to Q4 2016. Um, but they are not able to reconcile the numbers any further back due to the company's data retention policies. Um, looking at the actual numbers here, this is not a huge restatement, but it's the kind of thing that shakes my confidence in the team that's managing here, because there have been so many other things that have gone wrong. It's just another frustrating little thing where you're like, this is a core business metric that you guys you should have locked down. Like There shouldn't be any uncertainty about your MAUs. Yeah, it, it is a little surprising. And uh, you know, one other thing that's kind of related to this, uh, Twitter reports how much their daily active users uh, changes. 
and they reported that it was up uh, 14% this quarter. What they don't report is the actual number of daily active users, which is kind of a bizarre thing to do. And so that's always, whenever I see a company not reporting a number, that's really probably one of the most important numbers they should be reporting. It makes me kind of think management is not, they don't want you to know what it is because it's not particularly impressive. Um, I think that's more concerning than this restatement even, I, I think. Yeah, and I believe this is something that the SEC has even given them some notes about. Um, and and it is weird for a company to say, you know, daily actives as a percentage of monthly actives uh, is a great proxy for engagement. And you know, we we see daily actives as the people that are most valuable to our platform, and then not give people the number for daily actives. Um, it, it's the kind of thing that just kind of has you scratching your head a little bit. Um, and, and this is something that Evan New has touched on before, and I think he's actually written a couple articles. Uh, Fools, if you want any of that, just write into the show. I'll shoot him along. Um, like I mentioned, we have been following this Twitter turnaround narrative for a while on Industry Focus. And you look back to where they were basically before they reported their Q2 results. Uh, the stock's more or less flat. You know, they've, they've gone through some peaks and valleys since then, but this most recent report gets them back there. But when I look at this report, I'm still seeing a business that's struggling. I mean, we talked about how the top line was down 4% year over year. They're showing MAU growth. The big thing that I don't think enough people are talking about with Twitter is despite the MAU growth and despite the huge growth in the number of ad engagements, the company still posts year-over-year revenue declines because the CPEs, their cost per engagements, continue to freefall. And so, if you're a digital ad business, you basically make money by showing people more ads or charging more for the ads that you're showing. And in the case of Twitter, CPEs that basically what they're charging for people to be able to throw in these ads, it's been falling for I think the last nine quarters. Uh, this most recent quarter. It was down 54%, and that was on the back of a 44% decline in the same quarter a year ago. Um, I think that this is something that people need to be paying attention to a little bit more, Tim. Uh, yeah, and you know they they're going to run up against the limit of how many ads that they can stuff into people's you know feeds uh, if you know with user growth as slow as it is. So uh, if these prices keep falling, it's going to be a pretty big problem for revenue. And on a certain level, I think if you're in the digital media world, like this is a, a, a bit of a proxy for interest, right? If, if you're a you know digital advertiser, um, if if you are interested in advertising on Twitter, um, you know you're going to be willing to pay for it. And so the fact that advertisers they say are flocking to the to the platform, they've been getting good numbers, um, but they haven't been able to find the bottom for CPEs is concerning to me. Um, Something that is also concerning to me is analysts ask management about CPEs and when they might stabilize on the conference call. And CFO Anthony Noto gave this response. We think about CPEs in the context of yield, so effective CPM, which is cost per thousand. An effective CPM is nothing more than the product of CTR, click-through rate, times CPE, cost per engagement. Our effective CPM has been relatively stable the last three quarters, and we think it will remain stable, all else equal, in the competitive environment. And that's how we think about CPE in the context of yield on the platform. And we're glad that it's reached a stability point, because that will allow us to drive incremental demand. That is a mouthful of an answer that doesn't even really answer the question, because CPEs haven't stabilized. And, and I don't know when they will. You know, we've, we've seen some periods where the declines haven't been as dramatic. But management is fixated on this CPM, which they say is stabilized. For CPM to have stabilized, that means that they're getting more clicks, but that the CPEs are still falling. So. I, again, it's management kind of obfuscating a little bit in a way that is super frustrating if you're trying to get down to the nuts and bolts of what's going on with this business. Uh, yeah, I think this is a, an example of them kind of picking the number that looks the best and trying to focus on that, which uh, Twitter 
does sometimes. Uh, they always uh, also emphasize their adjusted EBITDA earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. That's always one of the first things they talk about in their earnings release, which is a nonsense number for the most part. So this is kind of par for the course for Twitter. And it's and it's frustrating because you know as as an analyst or you know someone looking at stocks, you want to try to get down to the bottom of what's actually going on, and management here is making it a little difficult. Um, this is all to say that while the market seems pretty enthusiastic with Twitter's results, uh, there are a lot of things with this business that I still haven't seen go in the right direction. CPEs being one of the big ones, but I, I personally don't love um, management's transparency, and and I still feel like they need to be disclosing some more of these metrics so that we can get a better sense of what's going on with their business. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't have anything really to add to that. Sure, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think you were going to disagree with me on that one, Tim. No, <laughs> um, we threw a ton of stuff out there. Like I said, folks, if you have any other questions on stuff that we hit on today's show, just write in industryfocus@fool.com, and we'll shoot them over. Um, Tim, anything else before I let you go? Uh, well, I will say one one good thing about Twitter is they managed to really slash their costs in the third in the, the the third quarter. So that's one thing that is moving in the right direction. Uh, but it doesn't really matter much if revenue is moving in the opposite direction. Uh, on that note, I'll say their data licensing business is up twenty percent uh, year over year. So, so that is going well too. We we need to give them a couple yeah. of gold stars here and there. But um, it doesn't sound like either of us are touching this company anytime soon. No. <laughs> well, thanks for hopping on, Tim. Thank you for having me. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out and say hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. Also, if you're interested in coming by HQ, maybe checking out a taping of the show, shoot us a note there too. Uh, today, we actually have a live studio audience. Thanks to Patrick and Francie for visiting HQ and coming by and checking out the show. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out The Fool's family of shows over at fool.com podcasts. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. He grins at me as I'm saying that. And for Tim Green, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.